0: Children go back, you can be turning to your Bibles to chapter ten of Romans. Oh, uh, I need to put this on here. <laughs> I'm work on it here. Probably was picking me up anyway, wasn't it? mic Gotcha. Andy Andy's another one who quietly takes care of a lot of things. Doesn't say much. And just does things. Appreciate that. <coughs> All right. Chapter 10 of Romans. Last week we preached out of Romans chapter 9. It was entitled Deep Waters, which was what I would call a deep dive into the sovereignty of God. And just like mankind finds limits to how deep they can go in the ocean, spiritually speaking, there are limits to the human understanding of God's sovereign ways. Things we just can't go that deep to find out and understand. I like what Brother Mike says, you know, if we knew all those things, then God wouldn't be God, would He? I mean, we'd we know what He knows. He knows. In our outline of Romans, we move from the first eight chapters that are doctrinal in nature. We are now in the section, the middle section, chapters 9 through 11, um, which refer to or are dispensational in nature, and dispensational just meaning progression of time. In particular, it deals heavily with the nation of Israel. Chapter 9 looks to the past. This is good to kind of remember as you go through, it kind of helps out and makes some sense. It's not perfect, no outline is perfect. Chapter 10 deals with the present time of Israel, and chapter 11 explores the future of Israel, and it kind of concludes with a verse that to me is somewhat all-inclusive, and we'll get to that next week. Chapter 10 is written in the freshness of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. As Paul's writing this. It wasn't long after all that had happened and uh, the church has begun and he's preaching. The cross represents what I would say an end to many things. And that's kind of the message that I felt I got from God is, and I'll entitle that message, the end, the end. Let's pray, Father, we come before you looking for your Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. You use human men to preach the Gospel. And Father, it's Your choosing. It's what You've chose. It's Your sovereign way of things. And so, Lord, may we just adhere to that. May we listen to it, realize that I'm just a messenger, but it's the Holy Spirit that is speaking. It is the Holy Spirit who I seek to find messages Uh, from you that are to be delivered to this people. So may I be in the background and may you work in the hearts of people today. Whether it's for salvation for the first time, what a glorious thing that would be. Or whether you stir the heart of a believer or to direct them in a better way today through this message. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Now in chapter 9, if you remember, Paul began bearing his heart toward Israel. He describes his heart as having great heaviness and continual sorrow. Continual sorrow. But chapter 10 moves from the heaviness and sorrow of, the, of his heart to the desire in his heart for Israel. Romans 10:1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This ought to be, and we're going to get a lot of ends here, that's part of the message, that ought to be the end of every saved person's heart, to see those who God put in our heart to be saved. Certainly this would be friends and family and that we grew up with, but God can put also put a love in our hearts for another people. If you ever watch missionaries, or even in small ways, sometimes God will just put a heart maybe in a certain ministry of a certain people outside of your your family. I believe this is the telltale call of a missionary. You listen to them, and there's really almost no explanation. They just get this burden, this deep, as Paul would say, like, Heaviness and sorrow in their heart for this this people, and they have to go. And that's how God usually, it seems like, calls missionaries. He puts a love in their heart for certain people. Verse 2 says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now that knowledge uh, word in the Greek is a very interesting word, it means recognition, or by implication, full discernment, acknowledgement, or acknowledging something. See, Israel became religious, adding man's ideas to truth. And religion ends with blindness and deafness to God. It is ever learning, yet never coming to the truth. The hardest people to win to Christ are the religious. Because they've got it figured out. They, they think they've got an end, and usually it's involved in working, continually working towards something. Hmm. Jesus had the hardest time revealing himself to his own people to Israel the religious crowd it seemed that his ministry to sinners and publicans which they got upset with him about that that seemed to be more successful than than preaching to his own own people verse 3 through 5 says in Romans chapter 10 for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses described the righteousness which is of of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Trying to live by the law to please God is an endless... Work. It's an endless work. Hebrews 10.1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come. It was a shadow. It was leading to an end. <laughs> and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. There is no completion or satisfaction in following the law. I believe this is what the rich young ruler was trying to find when he came to Jesus. He was basically coming to Him. If you think about it, and you think about who He was and what He was doing and what He says, He knew there was something missing. He was looking for what is missing. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. We begin in verse 16. We're going to read about the rich young ruler. I'm going to also... It's in uh, the stories in Mark and Luke. It's not in John. Um, But in Mark and Luke, there's some things added that I'll add into it as we go along. That might add a little more to this story. It says, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? What good thing must I do that I... Now in Mark, it says that one came running and kneeled to him. So you can add a little more into that picture. And then Luke 18, 18 says, And a certain ruler asked him. So when we say the rich young ruler, it's going to come from different parts of the scripture in different gospels. How we know that. In verse 17, it says, And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? And this is interesting that, you know, Jesus knows all things, and he knows this person. And he questions him. He says, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. So you call me God. There's a question. You know, Jesus always put questions And we ought to learn about that. We, whenever we witness to somebody, try to get questions. Ask them questions. And let them answer. You don't have to answer say they're wrong or whatever. Those questions will affect them. I believe Jesus was saying stuff here that is, would come back to this person's life. And then he says, But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now that's an interesting statement because Jesus knows eternal life is through him. But he's, he's dealing with this person who deals with the law. He saith unto him, <clears throat> which? <laughs> and I think that's kind of interesting for this fellow. Like, which one? <laughs> Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Basically, he's given them the Ten Commandments here. And then it says in verse 20, the young man saith unto that's how we know he was young. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Now we understand, don't we? There's no way that he kept the commandments. What he kept was the sacrifices, the continual sacrifices and bringing them in for sin. He was working the law as the law said and doing the things he was supposed to do that God said in order to uh, have forgiveness uh, or to have your sins um, overlooked there. And Jesus said unto him, if that will be perfect, now he's saying, okay, you, you did all that. And, Jesus, and it's interesting, Jesus, when we have something truly like in our heart, he, just, he doesn't necessarily address it. You know, we got to learn from that in our, our witnessing. You know, he we, we didn't just say, you got it all wrong here. He's going along his way of thinking. And he says, he says, what lack I yet? Jesus saith unto him, if thou will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now Matthew, or Mark chapter 10 it said then Jesus beholding him loved him. And he adds that he's to take up the cross and follow him. So there's some things added. In other words there's only one good and that's God. God is telling you one last thing. Um, if I'm God I'm telling you this is what you should do. Then But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Possessions here are temporal. We don't own them anyway. I don't care who you are. If you have them, God's allowed you to have them, allowed you to use them, however you will. But they're all his. This world is his. He has control of it all. But this was, man was going to hold on to his possessions. You know, when we come to Jesus Christ and to truly be saved, we lay everything down. That's why it, right before this, the children came to him. And he says, it, he said, prevent not the children to come to me. The apostles wanted oh to, you know, don't, don't bother Jesus with these children. He said, Everybody who comes to me has to come as a child. That's why it's it's somewhat easier for a child to come to Christ. They haven't gathered up all these things in their life that's theirs and that they don't want to give up. It's real easy for them to just trust Christ. But for somebody who's gathered a lot in their life, this is the problem. To lay it all down. All. All down. Wicked lifestyle, money, whatever, to give it all to Christ. Your religion, what you were taught that wasn't right, to lay it down on the cross. To trust God with your family, your friends who (laughs) might disown you for doing it laying it all down, all at the cross. But said, so this man heard, when he heard the saying, he went away sorrowful. Every portion that I could see where there was salvation, there was joy and filling. Every time when somebody walks away, it's great sorrow. It so said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now Mark... Describes it and says, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Where's your trust at? Is it all in Jesus Christ? <laughs> or is it Jesus and? Or is it in something totally else? And again, I say unto you, verse 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? They even realized, wow, you know, there's a portion of a song that we sing that talks about, there's a verse that I kind of choke on every time I come to it. Now I've given to Jesus everything. The only thing I can reckon that to is, when I came to Christ, I gave him everything. That's, that's the only peace I can have. Because I feel like, man, I struggled, you know, after being saved, trying to give him everything. Who can be saved? They're saying, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, it's impossible for man to save himself. But with God, through his son, through his blood, through Him dying on the cross, through His resurrection. we could be saved. It's all of Him. All of Him. And then it says, Then answered Peter, oh, Gotta love Peter, And said unto him, Behold, we've forsaken all and followed thee. You know, we, we saw this in Peter as we've been studying on Sunday night. Peter answered the call, didn't he? To follow. That's, that's the first part. They followed. They left everything. And went and followed Jesus. He said, What shall we have therefore? <laughs> I like what Jesus said unto him. He said, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in followed me in the regeneration. And that regeneration is it's pretty clear what this is. It's the messianic restoration and the millennial reign of Christ. When the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, this is not talking about heaven, he's gonna sit and rule and reign on this earth. Ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life see it's separated everlasting life happens at a time when it's all done at the very end of revelation when all things are done but th- remember there's a th- even after we die there's going to be seven years of tribulation there's going to be a thousand years now this kind of it's hard for me to like figure this out but we're going to rule and reign with christ a thousand years. Because I'm thinking like, okay, so he's saying everyone that forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my names. shall so receive a hundredfold. Now this is scaring me to death because that's 700 children <laughs> for me <laughs> in the millennium. I don't know how all that works, but God said it. But I don't know what we do for a thousand years. That's more than ten times, and most of us will ever live. And then it says, "...and shall inherit everlasting life." But many that are first shall be last, and last shall be first. Let's go to verse 6 of Romans chapter 10. "...but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above." Or who shall descend to the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. The word of God is preached. It's fresh. It can save right now by trusting Christ. You know, but it would be good here to listen. Paul is actually quoting, and he quotes several times from the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 30.11 it says, For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it afar off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. You know, Paul as preachers, you know, as preachers today, we have the entire Word of God. Part of what they were doing was forming the Word of God, the apostles, and <clears throat> the Scriptures. So they would use the Old Testament Scriptures. Paul is saying that the righteousness of the law ends at the foot of the cross, and that the righteousness of God is available even now. Nobody needs to go searching for it. It is here. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not something in the future. It is right here. It is right now. Today is the accepted day. Now is the time of salvation. And he says in verse 9 through 11, he says, these are the famous verses we'll we quote from through the Romans road that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is an inward part of salvation. It is from the heart. What does it mean to believe with your heart it is to believe with your entire being your whole heart what really means something to you proverbs 4:20 says my son attend to my words incline thine ear unto my sayings let them not depart from thine eyes keep them in the midst of thine heart for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. For with the heart. It says in verse 12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this chapter starts with Paul's prayer that Israel might be saved. But it's pretty interesting, we see here that the Jews come to Christ like all others. Everyone who comes to Christ comes as a whosoever. Coming to Christ is the end of personal status. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, good people, bad people, all come to Christ as a whosoever. And he says, how then shall they call on him? in whom they have not believed. Now here's going to be a progression. And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. John thirteen sixteen says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. It is the Lord who saves, and it is the Lord who will sin. It is the words of God that the preacher uses to preach God's word to the unsaved. It is all God's work, nothing of man's work. (laughs) Serving God is an end. We find the end of our works to be yielded to his works. God chose preaching to call men unto Him. First Corinthians 1.21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. There's some sovereignty there. That's pretty deep waters why He would do that. Why He would use us is, is, is unbelievable, but He knows what He's doing. You know, Brother Ken Walter's life was involved in following God's call to preach. Um, by the way, that was uh, Debbie's father uh, and Tim's grandfather, Mike's father-in-law. There were many lives he brought to the, the gospel too. God's word said that his feet are beautiful. Now, I don't recommend you take the shoes off of preachers and look at their feet and look at it in beauty that way. <laughs> but they're feet that take the message of God to many people. The Great Commission starts with a two-letter word, go. A preacher takes the word of God to people. As preachers today use scripture to support their messages, as I said, so did the apostles when they preached. This message of beautiful feet, whether you realize it or not, comes out of Isaiah 52.7, Paul was referring to. See, these people knew... He was, he was quoting Scripture. How beautiful upon the mountains, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. And this verse leads into the great prophetic Scripture in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. Who hath believed our report? So we go to verse sixteen of Romans chapter ten, but they have not obeyed, uh, not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, or Isaiah, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Isaiah fifty three, if you would, let's turn to Isaiah fifty three, just in honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. The prophecy, this is the great prophecy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You're not a pretty... All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see... Of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is pretty straightforward talk. Of who the Messiah was. There's no doubt it was Jesus Christ. Remember Paul was talking about Israel. This is where they stopped. And this is a portion of scripture. They don't like to talk about. They just want to shove that aside. And you'll see what what that is. It's called gainsaying. And we'll talk about that at the end here. But I say, have they not heard? Has Israel not heard? Yes, verily their sound went into, where does it say? All the earth. And their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold. And saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Remember, this chapter is talking about Israel at that present time. It is the time of the Gentiles. And Paul is staying in the book of Isaiah as his text, Isaiah 65.1 says, I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. Now next week, Lord willing, in chapter 11, we'll get more of an explanation of what God was doing through this as He was provoking Israel to jealousy and anger toward the Gentiles. But in verse 21, it says, But to Israel He saith, All day long I have stretched forth My hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Here's what I want you to do. Kids, you can help me out with this, alright? I want you to hold out your hands. And just keep holding them out, okay? I want to see how long you can hold. He says, all day long I've stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient, gainsaying people. God is reaching out. His arm's never weary, by the way. He's reaching out to a rebellious people. Asking them to come to Him. We'll see who can hold their hands up the longest. See how long their shoulders start to burn. Remember, Moses had to give his hands propped up by Aaron and her because he couldn't hold them up long enough. I'm keeping you awake back there, ain't I? (laughs) God is long-suffering to what he says is a disobedient and gainsaying people. Stephen's last words to the nation were these before they stoned him. And Acts 7.51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. The Jews put Jesus on the cross who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. These were Stephen's last words to them, but his very last words were for them. Acts 7.60, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is probably the strangest church service you've ever been in your life. Most people's got their hands down. You can lay them down if you like. We'll go ahead and do that. This is the final end of this chapter. Coming to Christ is an end is to be an end of disobedience. If we are to love Him, we are to obey Him. Coming to Christ is the end of gainsaying. So I want you to understand what this word gainsaying is. It's a Greek word that means to dispute, refuse, answer again, contradict, deny, or speak against. Perhaps the best way I thought of to describe this is to look at your children when they are addressed with something they did wrong. Let's say one child took a toy from another child and that child hit the other child with another toy. Who's seen that happen? (laughs) All right, so we're getting with something familiar here. So the child that gets hit comes crying to mom and dad that his brother hit him. The other brother is called on the carpet. And what are the first things you hear? This is what saying is all about. I didn't do it. <laughs> then when they're addressed with the lie, it goes to, it was an accident. It went, how's it? Askedence, yeah. <laughs> Then when it's made clear that it was no accident, then it goes to, but he or she did this or that first. You guys all know this. Wow. Or I had it first, but all those things. What is the opposite of saying? It would be like the child who had the toy taken from him going to his room quietly with great heaviness and sorrow in their heart, praying that his brother's heart would be changed. That's hard to believe would happen on it. But we end where we started. Paul, who was being persecuted by his own brethren, even being sought out to be murdered by them, had great heaviness and sorrow toward them, and in prayer desiring that they would be saved. Coming to the cross... And believing on Jesus is an end; should be an end to several things. It is an end to some of these. It is an end to a selfish to selfishness, to a work of selflessness of service to others. It is an end to our works for salvation to the work of Christ on the cross. It's the end of religion. <laughs> it's also an end of our ideas and thoughts of service. To follow his call. We must answer his call. He's not interested in what we can do for him. He's interested in what he can do through us. If we will be just obedient to his will. It's an end to personal status. To just a sinner saved by grace. I put you on even terms. It's an end to disobedience, to obedience of God's Word, and it's an end of gainsaying to the admission, sorrow, and confession of sin. With Heads bowed and eyes closed. The baby being delivered to John and the pianist coming. It all, a lot of things end at the cross. And Thank God. We've got to come to the conclusion that everything's in God. We're just children. Right before the rich young ruler came, it was was right after the children came unto Jesus and Jesus said, you must come as a child. How is God speaking to you today? Romans chapter 10 call from Paul that Israel might be saved but that all might come to repentance. To turn to give everything to Jesus Christ to lay it at His feet and then to live for Him the rest of our life. Looking for his return how has God spoke to you today as only God can do larger church and we have an altar and we'll talk about what that altar is for. We don't typically have an altar call here. But let me ask you, if God's speaking to your heart about something and you've made a decision for Him, you don't need an altar. You do need to come forward though and tell somebody about your decision or your desire uh, to get baptized Um or a calling in your life. It's stuff that we should never be ashamed about. But you could be home and God speak to your heart and say, I need to be saved, and it bothers you. You you get that welling up or a call to do something that, you know, I don't know if I can do this thing, and God's calling me to do something I'm really uncomfortable with. But I'm going to trust you. To bring that forward to people, you can talk to me, you can talk to someone in church, you can talk to your parents to get that out in front and to deal with that. So I just want to leave that with you today. When you make your decisions, make it known because you shouldn't ever be ashamed about it. And your Christian brothers and sisters will always be happy for you, encouraging you to follow God and whatever He has for you to do. And that's the best place to be. It's the only safe place to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. Thank you for all those who have come out today. Lord, I pray you work in their heart and life mightily. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.